So this morning, First uh, Thessalonians, again, as I mentioned before, I loved that we're doing this as a church family and doing homework. Some of you guys posted on our group page uh, just some things that you have found that are cool and convicting and concrete and about Jesus. And that stirred me up, and that's actually going to come into a little bit of our uh, study of the sermon this morning. And again, it's iron sharpening iron. You guys know that? Um, and that's the privilege this morning. And my, my heart as your brother, as your pastor this morning, is I want you to be encouraged. I, wanna, I want you to leave here a little sharper uh, this morning in the things of the Lord. So let's pray and ask God to open our hearts in that way. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you so much that it is really living and powerful. Just thank you so much even this last week as we've been diving into uh, Thessalonians here just in preparation of start, studying this, uh, starting the study together as a church family, how you've been speaking already and stirring up our hearts and uh, just even change happening already. We thank you for how... Uh, your word does that in our lives. And I would ask humbly this morning that you would allow uh, me just to speak truth, God, to be in tune with your spirit as we uh, get through this first chapter together this morning. I know this is a, a letter that the apostle charged to be read in all the churches. And uh, we can see why as we've been looking into this. There's so much needed truth for us. We thank you that your word is truth that it sanctifies us, that it frees us, that it is really living and powerful. So please, uh, Holy Spirit, give us those ears to hear this morning. Open our hearts. Uh, we're looking to you, Jesus. And it's in your name we pray. Amen? Amen. So this morning, guys, we're considering the victorious life of the Christian. And chapter 1 really is... Uh, a blueprint for you and I in doing so. So if you could turn to 1 Thessalonians and also Mark Acts chapter 17. We're going to go there for a little bit. But for you guys who are builders or have built something, you know that the blueprints, those are the plans that a builder uses Okay, in building something. No extras, no fluff, right? Just the exact details of what is needed. So a good builder must know the plans and simply determine to follow those exact details. And guys, that's how I feel about 1 Thessalonians. Very to the point, very exact. The Apostle Paul here who wrote this letter gives us the blueprints to victorious Christian living. So blueprints of being fully alive. And that's what I want for you, brother and sister. I don't want us as Christians just to go through the motions, just to know it, but actually to live it. Do you guys know that's why Christ has come? To give us life and life abundantly, to be lived. Okay, in relationship with Him, being His kids, we get to enjoy Him in relationship with Him. John Powell uh, describes in his book, Fully Human, Fully Alive. Fully alive people are not necessarily happy all the time. No, they experience failure as well as success. They are open to both pain and pleasure. They have many questions and some answers. They cry and they laugh, they dream, and they hope. The only thing that remains alien to their experience of life is passivity and apathy. They say a strong yes to life and a resounding amen to love. They feel the strong strings of growing, but their sleeves are always rolled up their minds are wiring and their hearts are ablaze that sounds like the church members in thessalonica let's look at verse one paul sylvanus 
and Timothy to the church of the Thessalonians in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace to you and peace from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now this city, Thessalonica, Thessalas plus Nike, literally meaning Thessalon victory. Okay, that's the name of the city. And the name of the city came from the name of a princess, Thessalonike of Macedon. Some, uh, so it's named here because her birth on the day of the Macedonian victory at the Battle of the Crocus Field in 553 into 552, this was Alexander the Great's half-sister. So that's how this city got its name. In the Roman, during the Roman Empire during this time, the population was probably about 200,000 people, about the size of the valley here. The largest city in Macedonia. It was the capital for the province there. It was located in two major trade routes, so a lot of people passed through this city. Today, it's actually one of the few New Testament cities that is actually still around today. So the letter was written shortly after Paul had visited uh, Thessalonica, and that would be during his second missionary journey, which we find in Acts chapter 17. He was there and he preached over three Sabbaths and then a big mob made him leave and it was time to take off and he went to Berea. And the one thing we catch is we study, and this is why you who are given homework, read each chapter, reread this short letter. But the theme is the return of Jesus Christ. So the purpose, I believe here, is Paul was wanting to strengthen the believers. My desire for us is that we would be strengthened as believers in Jesus to give us all assurance of his return. Now we've spent some time recently going through the book of Revelation. And isn't it cool when we read about how Christ is going to return? Going to kick some Satan butt. He's going to set things right. Like I look forward to that, guys. And he really is coming back. Now if you caught in verse 1, we have multiple contributors to this letter, right? Silvanus, probably Silas being a surname of his. Uh, there he took the place of Barnabas. You guys remember the famous split between him and the Apostle Paul. Well, then the Silas came alongside Paul and ministered with him on missionary journeys. So the three names, though Paul stands out as the main author here, they all help in the authorship of this epistle. And I think that's a good thing. And you guys notice that grace comes up. You guys know the Apostle Paul actually uses the word grace twice as much as any other New Testament writer. He's all about the grace of God. I hope we're all about the grace of God. Um, so we see that in him. It's actually known as Paul's watchword. So grace points to God as the highest source of good. You guys understand that? That's God's grace. So when God be gracious to you, that's what we're saying. And then peace comes. And you guys know that we can't have peace with God until we have the grace of God. We got to receive that grace by faith, right? And then the peace comes. You guys know what I'm talking about. You've come to faith in Christ. There's nothing like you're saved by grace through faith. And then, man, the peace that you have with your maker, the thing you've so longed for, you finally have with him. And it is just the coolest thing for the believer. So peace refers to man as the recipient of divine peace. 
I love it. So let's look at verses 2, 3, and 4 here. And as we read this, I want you guys to catch faith, love, and hope here. We give thanks to God always for you all, making mention of you in our prayers, remembering without ceasing your work of faith, labor of love, and patience of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ in the sight of God the Father, knowing, beloved brethren, your election by God. So here is again Paul's three ingredients for the Christian life. You see, faith rests in the past. And then we have love, which acts in the present. And then we have hope that looks to the future. So work of faith. Barclay said, we learn a lot about someone on how they work. We can tell a whole lot, can't we? How does that brother or sister work? You guys know there's a lot of theology that comes around the idea of work. It is good to study those scriptures out. We are called to be given to work. Now that work will look different for you and I and one another. Some, they work in fear of the whip. Some, in hope of gain. Some, in a sense of duty. And others are inspired by faith. Faith? What does that have to do with work? Well, I'm glad you asked me, brothers and sisters, because faith that your work has been given and entrusted to you by God and that you are specifically working for Him. I don't care where you work, but Christian, you should be the best employee there or the best boss they ever had. I am under that conviction. Someone said, the sign of a true consecration is when a man can find glory in drudgery. I like that. Man, I don't want to do this. I'm sick of these swing shifts. I'm sick of this nine to five, same thing over and over. Can you find glory in what God has set your hands to? Man, that's something special when you can. And then did you guys catch there? We have the work of faith, and then he spoke of the labor of love. You guys know that storks are so strong for their affection for their young, they are not afraid to die for them. There have been instances where a forest fire in which they would fly to and fro with water in their beaks to pour over their young. And as the fire got close, they cover their babes, even if it meant they were to die. I think that's a beautiful picture for you and I of what a labor of love is truly is no greater love than someone willing to lay down their life for their friend that is a labor of love someone once asked susan wesley which of her 11 children she loved the most and she wisely replied i love the one who's sick until he's well And I love the one who's away until he comes home. I like that. So we have the work of faith, the labor of love here. And then Paul says, patience of hope. You see, always in the Christian context, hope 
there's this air of certainty about it. It's not wishful thinking, brothers and sisters. When we talk about hope, it is sure. It is an absolute. When Alexander the Great was setting out his campaigns, he divided all his possessions, all that he had gained to his friends. And someone said, but you're keeping nothing for yourself. And I love his reply because he said, I have kept my hopes. I like that. We will have loss in this life, guys. Things that we held dear. Loved ones we care for. There's going to be loss in this life. But that's what hope does for the Christian, guys. Okay? We have our hopes to continue to hold to. A man can endure anything so long as he has hope. For then he is not walking to the night, but to the dawn. And look at verse 4 here with me, guys. Have you circled, highlighted, that one little word beloved there? I hope so. If you haven't, I'm going to give you a moment to do that right now. Because Christian, you are beloved of the Father. God loves you. I don't know if you guys know this or not. I have a secret prayer office room in this building. A lot of you guys have no idea where it is. And I so love my mom fixed it up for me, made it nice. I even have a recliner in there. It's beautiful. (laughs) But on the bookshelf, she made a little bitty plaque, just a little plaque that sits on the outside of it. And on that little plaque, it just says, Beloved. And what a reminder. As a Christian... As a believer in Jesus, Jesus is a son of God's. That everything starts with God's love for us. So when I'm on my knees in prayer before the Father, and I look and I see this little bitty plaque reminding beloved, that's where it needs to begin. Even though my heart may be overwhelmed, a little stressed out, a little worried, son, I love you. As I pick up the word of God, and I begin to study, son, it begins with my love for you. It begins with my love for my people. So this word beloved, don't take that for granted. Just don't think it's some Christian slang. That's what we say. No, you, God so loved us, guys. He demonstrated that love. When we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Romans 5.8. And then it speaks of election. Believer, God has chosen you. He has chosen you. I love that. I take comfort in those words. And I want to encourage you guys. Because a lot of times when we come to the word election or being chosen or being predestined in scripture. We want to all go back to how salvation works, right? I want to make sure I'm getting it right because I know man has responsibility and I know God is sovereign. But if you're a Christian, guys, learn to enjoy God's language, biblical language. I want to own the word election. I want to read this and say, yeah, I am his. I am chosen by God. Man, I am loved. So how do you know you've been chosen? I'm so glad you guys asked. You're full of questions today. This is awesome. I think here's a few things that we can look at together. Are you drawn towards God? Because Jesus told us in the Gospel of John, the 6th chapter, verse 44, 
No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. Are you drawn to God? Do you have a desire for God? One of my favorite psalms is Psalm 42. It begins by saying, As the deer pants for the water brooks, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. Do you desire God? Do you desire His Word? You can jot down 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 2. As newborn babes desire the pure milk of the Word. Do you desire the Word of God? Oh yeah. A lot of things we can take in. A lot of things we can be reading. Well, I grew up in the church... I believe I was saved. But as an 18-year-old young man, I had a new thirst and hunger for God like I had never had before. Grew up going to school, having special classes because I couldn't read. Go to this special class. This, maybe they'll help. I had never read a book. But when I was 18, the Lord, man, the Spirit, Spirit just began to stir in me in such a way. I had such a desire for the Word of God, even though I couldn't read it, and it was so hard. I had an old King James version at the time too, which <laughs> made that much worse. But I wanted to know His Word so bad. I had such a desire, man. I'd read the same thing over and over and over and over again until I got it, and I couldn't put the Bible down just loved his word do you have that desire for the word of god and then do you long to be different if you guys can peek ahead to verse 9 they turned things changed for these believers do you desire to be different you guys know what i'm talking about when you are chosen when you are the elect of god born again of the spirit of god guess what happens guys you have new desires. Man, old things pass away. All things become new. That's what God does in the believer. So, are you chosen? It's one thing I love about God. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Does God pick some and not pick others? God came to seek and save the lost. That's what the scriptures say. His heart is that none should perish. You don't need to worry about, well, does he love me? Does he want to choose me, to elect me? He does. That's why he, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. In God's sovereignty, he chooses us, guys. The question is, are we going to respond to that gift of eternal life? Because that's what this is. Salvation is a gift. But do you receive it by faith? And that's the beauty of the scriptures, guys. God is sovereign. His Holy Spirit right now, we're told, is convicting the world, non-believers of their sin. But will people see and respond to it, to that conviction, to that convincing of the truth or not? That's on you. He loves you. So again, guys, it is a blessing to be elect to be chosen. So brother and sister, when you come to passages of scripture like this, embrace it. Own it. Just be like, thank you, Lord, (laughs) that I am a part of your elect, that I'm a part of your family, because this is a blessing. 
Now, we're going to look at verse 5, and I call this the four-wheel drive gospel. How many of you guys have a four-wheel drive vehicle? Love it. A couple weekends ago, can I share, babe, how you were tripping out when we are going up north, dirt roads, and then we turned off into some logging roads up into the big national forest in the middle of nowhere, and it was raining the night before, and there were huge puddles of mud everywhere, and what if we get stuck back? Are you okay if I share? Okay, thank you. <laughs> well, Sonny was tripping out. <laughs> I wouldn't have done that with my family if it was a two-wheel drive vehicle. Needed all four working. Need to be going through it. Because even though it was looking a little sketchy, and there were big puddles there, didn't know how deep they were, and seeing ruts and seeing where other trucks may have gotten stuck, I knew because, hey, I got four wheels here. <laughs> we'll be okay. We'll make it back into the woods. And that's how I feel about the gospel. Don't need to worry about getting stuck, wheels spinning. The gospel's going to make it, guys. Look at verse 5. For our gospel did not come to you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and in much assurance. And as you know what kind of men we were among you, for your sake. William Tyndale, gospel signifies good, merry, glad, and joyful tidings. That makes a man's heart glad, and makes him sing, dance, and leap for joy. That's the gospel, guys. It is good news. In word, we're told, it came. The scriptures were preached, and truth was declared there. Let's go to Acts 17 for a moment, and we'll read what it says concerning the gospel going to them. Acts 17, verse 1, Then Paul and his companions had passed through Amphiphius, in Apollyon, and they came to Thessalonica, where there was a Jewish synagogue. And as was his custom, Paul went into the synagogue, and on three Sabbaths he reasoned with them from the scriptures, explaining and proving that the Messiah had to suffer and rise from the dead. And I love that, guys, because all they had was the Old Testament then, right? Right? They were going to the, their own Jewish writings, the Old Testament, and it showed the Messiah, Jesus, how he would die okay, for their sins. So he was able to walk them through that. And then he says, This Jesus, I am proclaiming to you, is the Messiah, he said. Some of the Jews were persuaded and they joined Paul and Silas as did a large number of God-fearing Greeks and quite a few prominent women. But others, verse 5, other Jews, they were jealous. So they rounded up some bad characters from the marketplace, formed a mob, and started a ride in the city. Don't you guys... Glad that we don't have mobs and riots going. It's nothing new, guys. <laughs> and they rushed to Jason's house, we're told, in search of Paul and Silas in order to bring them out of the crowd. But when they did not find them, they dragged Jason and some of the believers before the city officials, shouting, These men who've caused trouble all over the world. They've now come here. And Jason welcomed them into their house. And they are all defying Caesar's decrees, seeing that there's another king, one called Jesus. 
And when they heard this, the crowd and the city officials were thrown into turmoil. And then they made Jason and the others post bond to let them go. And then verse 10, guys, as soon as it was night, the believers sent Paul and Silas away to Berea. On arriving there, they went, where? To the Jewish synagogue once again to preach the gospel once again. I love these cats. I so would have loved to hang out with Paul on his missionary journeys. But did you guys catch as we read through just these few verses? In verse 2, the word of God, they went and they reasoned with them. With the word of God. Okay, A lot of times we want to reason with people about our faith, our Christianity, and the last thing we want to do is actually share Bible with them. You know, well, let's talk philosophy. Let's talk about why the Big Bang's a joke. You know, people need to hear the Word of God. I don't know about you guys, but that's what cuts to the heart. It's the gospel we're not to be ashamed of because that's the power of God unto salvation. So that's found in the Word of God, and that's what we preach, guys. And then they also explained it in verse 3. Well, we don't share the Bible because people who don't believe, they're not going to understand it. We get to explain it. That's what they did. We explain these things to them. And then the Word of God was demonstrated to them in verse 3. To all in verse 3. Persuaded some in verse 4. Not all were persuaded. (laughs) Verse 4. And that's what I love, guys. The gospel isn't neither a discussion nor a debate. It is an announcement. You guys understand that? That's our job. Sin is bad. The bad news is you're a sinner and you're going to be cast into outer darkness, hell, which really sucks because you're going to die in your sin unless... And here's the good news. You repent and give your life to Jesus Christ and receive from Him this gift of eternal life because He died in your place on a cross taking your sins upon Himself. He died. He shed His blood. They buried Him and He rose from the dead conquering death, sin, and hell. He has this gift of eternal life to be given to you. Are you willing to repent from your sin and turn to your Creator and do things His way or not? That's the announcement today, guys. Period. What you do with that, that's up to you. We like marketing things. Oh man, if you come to Jesus, your life is going to be so much better. You're going to be so happy just like me. No more suffering. All good. No, be real with them. Man, if you come to Jesus, you might go through a whole lot of trials because the Bible says you go through many tribulations to enter the kingdom of God. It's not easy. And you start following Jesus and walking with him, man, you have some blessed promises in the Bible. Persecution will come to those who choose to live godly. That's one of them, brother, sister. (laughs) Let's go for it, right? It's one of those things, guys. We should not sugarcoat the gospel. Because what happens? Well, you told me if I start following Jesus, if I start believing that everything's going to be so much better in my life and it's just gotten harder, for some reason I'm feeling attacks I've never had before. What is this goofiness happening to me all the time? Man, I thought this was good news. I went and shared with my family. Now they're calling me names and want nothing to do with me. That's not a good thing. You guys understand in order for the good news to be good, there has to be the bad news. And that's why we need to be truthful with people about who they are apart from God and where they are headed. Okay? Bad news is not good news. Nobody wants to spend eternity separated from God in hell. That stinks. Sin stinks. God is worthy. And we should bow the knee. We should give our lives to Him and follow Him, trust Him to obey Him. Amen. That's an announcement, isn't it? 
So we don't want to peddle the word of God. We don't want to peddle the gospel. We want to be truthful. Hmm. I also love, did you guys catch that the word came in power? We'll go back to Thessalonians now. It came in power. Um, real, compelling, gripping, changing power. Okay. The Holy Spirit. Do you guys get prayed up before you go share with somebody? I sure hope so. Sure hope so. And it's something to ask for. There's an empowering of the Spirit. You guys read in the, in the Acts chapter 1, verse 8. You shall receive power from on high. The Holy Spirit is going to endow you with this power. To be witnesses. That's what it tells us. To be witnesses. I was 18 years old. Loved Jesus. Had shared Jesus with a lot of my friends over the years. Brought them to church once in a while. Did some youth events with them. But none of them ever got saved. I was like, I guess this is just what life is. People just don't care. People don't get saved. I don't see this happening. I was endowed with power from on high when I was 18. I'd be talking about the dumbest things. And here comes the gospel. And people are breaking down in tears. People are turning to Jesus. People are getting saved. What change, guys? It's the power of the Holy Spirit. It's not us. And that's why we need to be praying. You guys pray for one another. How many of you guys prayed this morning? Lord, would you bless pastor today? Because we know people are going to be coming. And they're going to hear the truth of the word of God. They're going to hear the gospel today. Would you open people's hearts? Would you speak through my brother powerfully by your Holy Spirit? That people would be cut to the heart those watching online, that they would be pricked, that their ears maybe would hear for the first time and their eyes would be able to see the truth of Jesus and his love for his creation. We need to be praying for one another. You youth group kids, last week you went out street witnessing. I was praying a lot. <laughs> I knew it was going to be the Lord working through you guys. I know a lot of tracts were handed out. I know conversations had happened. And that's great. You guys have been being trained, getting the word of God, learning how to share the gospel. But unless it's infused with the power of God, it's nothing. And that's why we need, we need to constantly be crying out to God. And when those conversations come up, I don't know if you can multitask. They say it's actually impossible to multitask, but I multitask like crazy when I'm talking to people or I'm preaching. A lot of it's like, Lord, help. Lord, help. Lord, help. (laughs) Open their heart, Lord. (laughs) Give me words to say because I'm going to blow it, you know. And he's faithful. There's times that, man, I don't know what just came out of my face, but that was really profound. I just learned a whole lot. (laughs) That's just the Spirit of God working through you. So I love here that Paul shares this reality because Paul was a smart guy. Do you guys know that? Okay. He, He was a Pharisee of Pharisees, we were told. He had one of the greatest teachers in Israel's history, Gamaliel. And Gamaliel said of Paul, Man, this dude, he's read every book we have. He's surpassed all others. Like, (laughs) he knows his stuff. And God chose him and humbled him, even though he hated Christians and he was persecuting the church. God met with Paul in a radical way. And even though he could sit and he could debate, he knew the scriptures, he understood that it had to be the working of the Holy Spirit through him. And that's why he prayed. And you guys, if you've been reading our letter here to Thessalonica and all of Paul's letters, how many times did he ask for boldness? Pray for us. 
we need to be praying for one another, brothers and sisters. So the Holy Spirit, guys, that's the power because it's really God himself. The Holy Spirit touches the human spirit. It ministers to the deepest needs. He's the one that fills us. He ministers to our minds and to our hearts within. It's the Holy Spirit. I've had several people over the years sitting in a very small room with some men and women who are incarcerated. And I come, open the scriptures, and we begin to talk gospel truth, speaking the name of Jesus. And they're looking at me all freaked out, like, what is that? What is happening? That's the Holy Spirit. This is the manifested presence of the living God. He is speaking to your heart right now, and they're just all (laughs) broken before God. You can't deny that. That's the Holy Spirit. And some of you guys know what I'm talking about. Some of you, the Holy Spirit's been knocking on your heart. He's been working. And God's been sending His kids your way, sharing the truth of the Gospel. So, in full assurance here, guys, I love it. This assurance, it's full assurance, it's conviction, it's confidence. So it moved the wills of the Thessalonians. Did you guys catch that they acted, they did something about it, and they yielded their lives to Christ. That's what we should be doing, church. What do you want, God? Well, I want to be at church on Sunday morning, but the rest of the week I'm kind of busy because I have this and that and that appointment and we got to get this done this week. Just be yielded to God. What does he have? Gene Sullivan, the gospel is not made to dominate the world, um, referring to crusades, okay? Uh, But the grain of sand that upsets the world's machinery, one can inhale its fragrance and be content to leave everything the way it was. In other words, guys, the gospel changes everything. Let's get back to our four-wheel drive gospel. How is it lived out? Look at verse 6. And you became fellow or followers of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much affliction, with the joy of the Holy Spirit, so that you became examples to Macedon, or all in Macedonia and Acacia who believe, for from you the word of the Lord has sounded forth, not only in Macedonia and Acacia, but also in every place. This is cool. In your faith towards God, it has gone out so that we do not need to say anything. For they themselves declare concerning us what manner of entry we had to you and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come so verse 6 you became followers you became examples verse 7 you became missionaries verse 8 you became or you were changed verse 9 so in verse 8 their faith sounded out like a trumpet so sounded forth okay can also mean crashing out like a roll of thunder. So at a time that it was safer to be quiet, to avoid the danger of persecution, the Christians Christians here, they blazoned forth in their 
faith. I love that. So Macedonia and Acacia, that's the whole of Greece during that time. All of it. So what instrument depicts your faith? Is it a trumpet? Or a kazoo? Or are you a clanging symbol? So how do they do this? <laughs> it wasn't with great crusades, campaigns, some city-wide meetings. Nope, they shared with their neighbors and their friends of what God had done in their life. Who have you shared with this week about what God has done in your life? It's that simple. Share what God has done in your life. I don't know if I'm ready to share the gospel. I don't know how to defend the faith the best yet. I don't have my apologetics down. What if they have some good arguments? What if it turns into a debate? You cannot argue and debate someone's testimony. Do you guys know that? This is what God is doing in my life. You can't argue what God is doing in my life. This is my testimony. This is what He is doing. I love it. And maybe that's why God has asked us to share. Oh, you're going to overcome Satan by what? The blood of the Lamb and the testimony of the saints. Revelations 12.10 So, that's how we spread the good news. So can I encourage you, brother and sister, just take up going online. A lot of you guys do the Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. Just share little testimonies. Hey, this is what God's doing this week. This is what he did today. Because he is alive. He's doing much. And he's good to testify. Why? Because he's glorified. And the people, they might get saved too because they might be like, whoa. <laughs> I love what God's doing in your life. I wish I had that type of relationship with God. Provoke them to jealousy, guys. So, today, I think it's funny you guys know as a pastor, I'm privy to a lot of awesome resources on how to build a huge church. You guys know that? Seriously, I'm sent stuff almost daily. You know, this week, I don't know how many stuff, man, you know, change your church from you know, 100 people to 1,000 in a week, you know. It, it's just crazy. But a lot of times, churches start with a recruitment team. Hey, Let's get some of the smartest and brightest together and we'll recruit a team and, and we'll get this church thing started. Okay, we'll print up our multicolored, beautiful flyers for everybody and uh, we'll get some advertising. We'll pay money. We'll raise some money to pay for advertisement and then we'll find some famous football player that could come in and share his testimony. And then we'll get some you know, popular Christian musician to come in for our first service and start us off with a bang. And that's how we're going to draw all the people in to, to get saved. You guys are newer to Freedom Fellowship. We didn't try to start a church, just to let you guys know. At all. It's just something God said, this is what I am doing. And he did it. How did that happen? People just loving Jesus, sharing what God was doing in their life, loving one another, and he formed it. We were meeting together for about three months before somebody asked, where do we tithe? Oh, <laughs> haven't even really thought about that. <laughs> you know? And it was very obvious that God was doing something there. I want us to remember, guys, how the city fathers described Paul and his buddies, and the effect on their city. Okay, I think that's important for you and I to catch here. 
Acts 17, 6 told us these who have turned the world upside down. Who was it? Just these Jesus followers just going and sharing Jesus with whoever they could. That's what they were doing. No crusades. We're just going to show up and talk to people. And they turned the world upside down. And in this sense, guys, and in this charge, okay, it was true. Because Christianity is revolutionary. You see, the revolution must take place in the hearts of individuals. Does that make sense? It's an individual thing. Because let me tell you what, when you go and you share with your neighbor, they come to say salvation, what are they going to do? Well, they're going to go to their family, their home, their friends, their co-workers. Wow, I individually know these people. Think about that. Jesus told us to do what? Go make disciples. Go make disciples. It's that simple. Jesus lived 33 years on planet Earth. That's a short time. I'm a decade past 33 You guys know that if just one of us in this room were the only saved person upon the planet here of 7 billion people, and you're the only saved person, and you took the Great Commission seriously, you actually did what God asked you to do, and you went and shared with one other person. It could even be your spouse, maybe. Do some missionary dating, right? (laughs) Go share with your wife. And you disciple them just for one year. Okay? You begin to share the scriptures with them, to explain the scriptures. Lord willing, they come to faith. They see that Jesus is who he said he is, the Savior of the world, that he is the only way. And they too come to faith. And after that year, all right, we're both going to move on now from this discipleship. Now you, go and do what I've done with you this last year. You go disciple someone else. And I am going to go disciple someone else. And they do that for another year. And then from there, after that year, all right, we're done. (laughs) You now go disciple someone else. And you go disciple someone else. And I'm going to disciple someone else again this next year. And I am going to disciple someone else this next year. Now we're on to four disciplers out there. Okay, discipling four new people. One more year in, we're on to eight. Do you guys see how quickly multiplication happens? Okay, it doesn't take too long until this thing is going to catch like wildfire. And do you guys know that it would only take 33 years for us to disciple the entire world of 7 billion people for Jesus Christ? But wait, we need some programs in place if we're going to do that. We need to have a bunch of meetings talking how we're going to reach our city. We need to do this and raise a bunch of money here. Don't you guys love how organic the gospel is? I mean, this is grassroots stuff. Just go make disciples. And that's what these guys did. These 12 apostles, disciples, turned the world upside down. I think that's so cool. And that's what's happening today. Okay? We're called a disciple. And I hope you're being discipled. I hope that you are discipling someone. We read here this letter was from who? Paul, Silas, and Timothy. Do you guys know that Paul was discipling Timothy? Timothy was a young pastor discipling others. I think it is good for each and every one of us to have a Paul in our life. Okay, that we are being discipled by. But at the same time, we have Timothys in our life, people that we are pouring into in discipling. So yes, if it's convicting or challenging, Ozzy, <laughs> we should be doing both. <laughs> We're talking. Anyways, um, we need to be in a place, guys, of just doing things God's way. I'm convinced this is it. How many of you guys have a burden for a lot of things, including the gospel? Like your heart just weighs heavy. You look at our world and there's just a lot of things going on. We do. But it always comes back to that practical application 
what am I going to do about it? I can know this truth. I can believe it. I can see it. But what am I going to do? Now, um, this is revolution, guys. And it takes place in the hearts of people, in individuals. So from revolve, revolutionary, revolve. It's a complete circular turn. It is the way to change the world. It's really to change the individuals in it. That's how it happens. So, you can't have a better world without better people. I believe that. So when Christ comes into your life, what does he do? He turns it upside down. How? Well, Jesus turns our beliefs upside down for one, right? (laughs) Everything, okay? Everything we once thought were false, now we believe are true. Jesus turns our pleasures upside down. What we used to find pleasurable versus now. Jesus turns our home life upside down. Different level of home commitment. Jesus turns our hopes upside down from a hopeless life and he gives us the hope of heaven, of eternal life. So the so first if we think about it the world is wrong side up that's our world they're blind we have blind people leading blind people okay they're living in darkness they're loving their sin more than god and they can't see any of it they're just spiritually blind second the world must be turned upside down and thirdly guys we are the men and women who see it right. So who are going to be the change makers in this world? It's going to be you and I. It's going to be the church. That's why we're called on mission to go. Okay? God just wanted us to have a little social club of some little church members to get together and have a lot of potlucks and hug each other and love each other. He would have made that pretty clear in Scripture, but that's... That's not it. Yeah, they like to eat together. We know that. Potlucks are not a bad thing. But he's told us as the church, go, okay? You need to go into all the world. So you believe, you may believe, there are kids starving. But do you care? Do you guys see the difference? We know Many are starving. (laughs) But do you actually care? Do you actually care? We see a lot of wrongs in this world. We see a lot of people who are hurting, who are dying, who are lost in their sins. We can know that, but do you care? What we need to change about us is what we care about. Not what we believe. Because if you're in Christ, you believe the gospel, we have our foundation in Jesus. Great. Brother and sister, we need to start caring. Because that's what we want to share with the world. And unless we care, we're not going to share. Verse 9 They turned God or turned to God from idols. Did you guys catch that? That should speak to you and I. Okay. They didn't leave idols to find God. That's not what it says here. A lot of times we go tell people what's wrong with their thinking. You need to stop that idolatry. There's one true living God and you're not worshiping him. Give that stuff up. And turn to God. That's not how it works, guys. You see, they found God and then they forsook their idols. And it's so much easier that way, isn't it? You get saved and the things, man, that used to capture your heart, used to own you, you gave all your attention to. When you come to faith in Christ, man, those things don't even matter anymore. They don't even compare anymore. And that's why we preach Christ, guys. We give people Jesus. 
Well, fix yourself up first. Clean yourself up, and then we'll get you right with Jesus. No. <laughs> get right with Jesus, and he cleans us up. That's how it works. So turn from any cheap thing you've been trying to satisfy yourself with. Because only Jesus can truly satisfy. And did you guys catch this as we wrap this up? Every chapter in 1 Thessalonians here ends with the return of Christ. Did you guys catch that? Check this out, okay? We just looked at verse 10 together. And then look at chapter 2, verse 19. It says, For what is our hope or joy, crown of rejoicing? Is it not even you in the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ at his coming how cool is that and that's what it's all about we are looking for his coming look down at chapter 3 verse uh, 13 here so that you may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our god and father at the coming of our lord jesus christ with all his saints and then chapter 4 verse 17 then we who are alive and we remain shall be caught up together with him in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And thus we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore, therefore comfort one another with these words. Jesus is coming back. He's returning. And then look at chapter 5 all the way down to verse 23. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely and... Uh, may your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless at what? The coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. I love that, guys. So there is a theme, there is a point to this book. It's interesting, the early church, we don't notice them looking back to the birth of Christ. 2020 has been a long year. I'm looking forward to Christmas. Elections are going to finally be done, <laughs> you know, and I'm embracing Christmas this year. I'm looking forward to it, okay? Just family, some enjoyment, just not having to deal with junk. But I think it's cool that the early church, they didn't, I mean, of course, Christmas, it was spoken of through the Gospels, okay, in the New Testament writings but their focus was always on the second advent they were always looking for the coming of jesus christ and paul's going to address that clearly as we continue on in first thessalonians here they held to the declaration that we find in the first chapter of acts verse 11 the same jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will so come in like manner as you saw him go into heaven. They held to that truth. That's what they were looking forward to. So Christ will come crashing back into our domain. It's going to happen. He prophesied and said he'd do it the first time, and he fulfilled every single prophecy to a T in doing it. And we just spent a good part of the last year looking at a whole lot of scriptures in Revelation and Daniel about him coming again and what that looks like, and he's going to do it. So Christians, do not be discouraged, defeated, and despairing. And if you fall into those modes... It may be possible that you've forgotten this great truth. I will come again and receive you to myself. So Father, we are so thankful for this reminder this morning, for the truth of your word here. We want to be doing things your way. We so thank you for these blueprints that you've given us in your word and how to do life as your kids how to live out the gospel. And I do pray, Father, that you give us that boldness to go and to share, Lord, with all the individuals we can, because we know that you love each and every one of them, desiring not a single one of them to perish, but to come into eternal life. 
And we thank you for the grace that has found us. You are so kind. Thank you for that favor. And we do pray, God, that you would just have your way, that your will would be done in our lives, because we know your ways are best. Bless these, my brothers and sisters. Thank you so much, God, that they know you and love you. God, that we've been able to hear your word together this morning. We do pray for those who've listened in that still walk in unbelief. Holy Spirit, just crash into their lives. Show them, Father, just how deeply your love is for them. We ask in your name. Amen.